Hello, everybody. My name is Michelle, and welcome to Tanaka uh, Her Stories. These are my stories. Uh, I'm a 60 scoop kid who came home uh, back to my people and wasn't easy, but over the last 50 years, that's been my lived experiences. Uh, I'm an academic, I write, I uh, talk a lot, which is kind of funny and part of the reason why I started this podcast, uh, and I hope that it's of service to you, uh, gets you thinking about some things, and maybe even gets you into discussions in your own circles. So this podcast, we're going to talk about uh, the five criticals that I learned from Dr. Michael Yellowbird. We're going to talk about uh, four important dialogues, and we're going to talk about some assumptions around what reconciliation means. Uh, so first of all, uh, Dr. Michael Yellowbird, he is over at the University of uh, Manitoba, and I first met uh, Michael Many, many, many years ago, probably about 15, 15 years ago, came across some of his work. And um, he is a brilliant academic mind. Uh, and at the time, I think I was working over at UBC, and he was show, sharing with, uh, with me some of the work that he was doing in the neural cognitive decolonization. And one of the things that he shared with me was this idea of five criticals. So critical consciousness, right? Critical perspective, critical thinking, and critical reflection, and then critical doing. And I, I like to start with that because I think it's really important. We often get taught or trained towards critical thinking, right? That, that process. And then there's a lot of anti-intellectualism that, you know, is really like, oh, make it simple, make it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, if you're thinking you're not doing anything and it's like, well, I think for, I think in an age of reconciliation, uh, thinking is actually part of the doing. So what I really like about the five criticals is that they're all attached. And if you think about your hand, for example, if you look at your hand, you know, the five fingers, and then you think of, okay, consciousness, perspective, thinking, reflection, doing, each is a finger, right? They work together to be able to do something, right? To, to be able to um, move something or, or create something, right? Create something new. And so the critical consciousness um, is, uh, you know, that, that woke moment, I think, right? Being aware that you're aware of something, something's not right. Um, critical perspective, how I explain this to my, to, to students often when I'm teaching or, or in workshops is, you know, when you have little kids, I don't know about you guys, but I raised two. And when you have little kids or you're in a little kid's life, right? You don't have to actually have your own to practice this. Uh, nieces and nephews work really well. Um, and so you're sitting there with kids and they're trying to talk to you and you pick them up. Try this next time. Get down to their level. Don't pick them up, but look at the world as they are looking at it. You know, you see a lot of these GoPros going on with like pets, for example, right? Seeing how pets are, are seeing the world. And I think it's the same for when human beings are seeing the world, right? Um, if we can take the perspective of another person uh, and just, you know, kneel down, 
be able to see and talk to them face to face without always having to pick up children, I think is a huge change, a huge, huge shift, uh, not only for the adults in that child's life, but I think for that child as well, to have be valued for our perspectives, right? To be valued as a child of how we see the world. Um, and then the critical reflection. I don't think we get enough time ever to spend just thinking and feeling about what happened to us, unless we call it anxiety. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I can go round and round and round. I don't know how many of you do this, but you know, you have, you have an interaction and you're like, oh, I should have said this or, oh, I should have that, said that. Well, that whole process, I think of just thinking about something or feeling about something, right? Reflecting on this situation, reflecting on, you know, how was that? Um, it's gotten replaced with this quote-unquote idea of evaluation, which becomes very objective and, and very sterile, uh, where I think reflection, if we could just reflect back instead of evaluate things, reflect on it, because I think the evaluation comes out of that reflection. Uh, and then the doing, right? Okay, what am I going to do about it? I'm hugely influenced by Tanakha worldview, how I understand Tanakha worldview. So a piece of that is the Tanakha creation story. If you ever get a chance to listen to Joe Pierre, uh, Nasukin Joe Pierre is the Nasukin or the headman of Akam, the community that I am actually registered to. Uh, if you ever get a chance to listen to that story, you know, there is the calling of all living things, Akamaskapikapsin, right? The heads of all living things are called together and they are presented, right? The human beings are coming. What are you going to do about it? I'm paraphrasing, of course. And then every living thing is given opportunity, time, space, and place to contribute to that question. And so that's really where we got laid out our natural law, our belief systems, and, and uh, the responsibilities, right? What we need to do, what, what other things will do for us, that interconnectedness. And so the doing is really an important part, right? And, and so I'm very influenced by, okay, this is happening, you know, what can I do about it? Including this podcast. Uh, it's kind of what instigated the podcast for me because I was finding that, you know, I'm doing a lot of workshops and uh, I, I love doing workshops. COVID happened, right? Um, just gonna say, cumulative COVID considerations it's a thing, right? We all thought that it would be over, uh, that we would get back to quote unquote normal, whatever that is. And uh, we're still trying to figure out how to, how to live in, in, in our new normal or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. So I think it's really important um, to consider the doing piece, right? What can we do about it? And so for me, being online, having people actually say, hey, do you have a podcast? Like, where are you going to talk next? Um, you know, I really want to hear more about these things. I was like, wow, because as a kid, <laughs> I always got told to stop talking. Uh, people would see me coming and they'd be, you know, stop talking or, or oh my God, she's going to talk, right? And um, so I decided, okay, well, this way, at least I can put this stuff out there. And if you want to hear me, you will. And if you don't, well, who knows what you're listening to then? Anyways, 
So that's Michael Yellowbird's work around those five criticals. I think they're really important, right? Consciousness, perspective, thinking, reflection, and doing. And so if you get the chance to, uh, to do any of those, to take the time out, I think those will help, you know, with the idea of, of discussing big ideas. The next thing that I wanted to talk to you about was uh, my idea of these four important dialogues. And there's a bit of detail in for some people, right? They hear this and they're like, what? Um, so it's indigenous peoples with indigenous peoples, right? And, and place-based indigenous peoples as well. The conversation I might have with, um, you know, other Tanakha people, may be different than the conversations I might have with, you know, friends from the blood tribe or friends from the Anishinaabe people or the friends that I have from up north, right, or on the coast or in Haida Gwaii. Uh, there are some similarities because we are indigenous peoples. The conversations I have with indigenous peoples in other locales, right, let's say New Zealand or Australia or Hawaii or... Um, Africa, right, might be different conversations than I would have with the place-based people of my own peoplehood. And then context matters, right? So when we have conversations, Indigenous peoples to Indigenous peoples, a lot of our conversations have been recast into competitions, right? How many Indians do you have in an organization? How many indigenous people do you have in one organization? And quite often we're played upon, we're played against each other, right? Oh, well, so-and-so said this or so-and-so said that. So we've been played against each other rather than actually being able to be in dialogue and uh, work together and talk through some of the difficult and challenging perceptions and lived experiences that we've actually had as well. And quite often we don't have indigenous peoples necessarily in roles and relationships of power or authority or, you know, um, able to start those conversations uh, about uh, what's important to indigenous peoples. And then we have non-indigenous peoples with non-indigenous peoples, which is basically, you know, how we end up in a time of truth and reconciliation, right? And it wasn't us that we did that. Um, the reserve system was not set up by indigenous peoples. And let's be clear about that one. These are not our systems that we are constantly having to reconcile. Uh, for ourselves. And then there's non-Indigenous people with Indigenous peoples. Now, my background is in social work, health, education, you know, the humanities and the social sciences. And so I can tell you, I can, <laughs> I actually teach some courses about how often it is that Indigenous peoples over the last 200 years have either come to try to save Indigenous peoples or, or assimilate or just outright eradicate, right, um, uh, you know, extinct Indigenous peoples or talk for Indigenous peoples. Uh, it's a common occurrence. It's something that we're pretty used to. And I don't mean we as an indigenous people, I, I mean Canadians, right? North Americans, um, those of British colonies. We have perhaps assumed a position in which it's okay for people to talk about people in general, 
and then you add the layer of indigenous peoples no longer speaking on our own behalf. There's a story about uh, the headman Michel, of whom I'm named after, and in negotiating the treaty in Montana, he was letting people speak for themselves, and it was kind of pissing people off. Um, the guys that were coming to try to talk about treaty, because he was letting his own people speak on their own behalf, which is what we do. You look at our creation story, the human beings are coming, what are you going to do about it? Well, each of those heads speaks. And so with non-Indigenous people leading the conversation with Indigenous people, you're actually framing the conversation we're going to have. And you see that in treaty, you see that in land claims, you see that in industry relationships, you see that going back all the way 200, 300 years, 400, 500 years in other locations of who came to talk to whom and what for. And then there is indigenous peoples with non-indigenous peoples, and that's me, right? I'm the one that gets to go and, and I'm invested to say, hey, let's have a conversation, but I'm gonna set the agenda. It's funny when uh, I used to travel with a, with a Tanakha knowledge holder, quite a lot older than I, and he used to always say to me, you need to start talking. And I'd be like, no, 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 they called, they want you to talk. And he said, yeah, but if I only talk, then they're not going to understand that you are Tanakha just as much as I am. And so I really credit him with that, um, with, with helping me to understand, you know, how important it is for dialogue and to, to be setting the agenda of what we're going to talk about. And so that's part of the reason for this, uh, this podcast. And so some of the reconcil um, sorry, some of the assumptions about reconciliation, I'm just going to close with this. And so first of all, in order to have a reconciliation, you've got to realize there's a conflict, right? Like, can we all agree on that one? We wouldn't have reconciliation if there wasn't a conflict. And it's not this issues-based conflict. It's not this issue or that issue or this issue or that issue. That's really a Western way. You know, it's really the way that, you know, things are sort of cut up and divided and, and categorized. And so it's not that there's one or another. And that's why I really like intractable conflict as a concept and, uh, I have a story for you about intractable conflict. Um, and so we'll start, we'll start with that story. So when I turned 50, I, uh, I decided that I would go to the UK because I had, before I had my children, I had a plan. I wanted to go to the UK, uh, the United Kingdom of Great Britain, Northern Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. And I wanted to go and visit uh, because when I was in university, one of my first courses in university was major British writers with, uh, with uh, Professor Dolphin at the uh, Lakehead University. And major British writers was one of the first courses I ever took at university. Now you gotta understand again, I don't have my high school, didn't graduate high school. I went to university as a mature student, okay? 25 years old I started. And so I was reading all these old dead white guys. Yep, I said it, old dead white guys. So Shakespeare and dan, 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 dan. And uh, I actually could relate to some of the things that they were talking about, about the importance of culture, 
right? The importance of values, the importance of this, the importance of that. And I found it fascinating because here I was, this, you know, Indian girl who didn't even know who the heck she was at the time. How could I possibly have so much in common? How could I see the same things as these old dead white guys from 400, 500, 600, 700, 1,000 years ago? What is that? Is it that I've been so assimilated? Or is it because when we talk about our values, sometimes we can share values, but the way we address them, the way we actually implement them, the way that we express our values is what's different. And that's where place is important, right? Place-based thinking. And so I went to the UK and as a matter of what happens, right? I am one of you may have ever heard of Sophie Pierre. She has her Order of Canada and Order of BC and She's also, you know, the closest thing I, uh, person to me that, you know, as a mother or as an auntie that I have, that's Tunaha. And I'm very blessed because I have a bunch of them. And I'm very, very blessed to, to count them as, as women, as, as informants, as invested in my beingness. Anyways, I told her I was going to the UK for my 50th birthday. And she said, oh, you need to meet the Lord. And I was like, well, I know his prayer, but I don't have his phone number, <laughs> being raised really Catholic. And so she said, no, no, no. She'd met this Lord Alderdice, this uh, member of the UK Parliament. And so she put me in touch with him. And by the time I got to the UK, I had a meeting set up for two days later over at the House of Parliament, which was like, oh, OK, didn't really understand what it was. And then, of course, I'm in the UK and I'm like, wow, this is actually kind of a big deal. Now, a couple things about the story about going to the UK. One is I brought on purpose uh, a suitcase full of books about indigenous peoples, and I was going to leave them all over the UK, everywhere I went, uh, just in case somebody wanted to read something different. Well, in the UK, of course, they have, um, you know, terror um, terror is a part of their life and surveillance is part of their life. And so anytime I left anything anywhere, <laughs> Somebody would be running up to me going, hey, you forgot this, you forgot this. Anyways, I ended up leaving a bunch of books uh, at a thrift store. But I went to go meet Lord Alderdice, and turns out he um, he leads this uh, center for the uh, resolution of intractable conflict. And so he and I talked a little bit. He's Irish. He was part of the Good Friday Accord in, in Northern Ireland. And uh, he's a psychologist by trade. And uh, so we talked, right? We talked a little bit about this and that. I left him a few books about Indigenous people. He was very interested in Indigenous peoples uh, worldwide, I think. And, um, and so I left him with a few books and I left him with, you know, some of my own writing and, and said, you know, we'll be in touch. And then I went along my way. I went to Cranbrook, which is where the founding father of this Cranbrook I am from, uh, where he originated from, and I left a Tanakha Nation flag in that Cranbrook in their archives, and I did a bit of reading about their Colonel Baker uh, and how he was in our homelands. And so I got to talk to Lord Alderdice about this resolution of intractable conflict, and I thought, resolution? I don't even know what intractable conflict is in the first place. And so I started looking into it 
looking into understanding what intractable conflict is, and I came across the work of uh, Dr. Daniel Bartol, uh, who teaches over at the uh, University uh, Tel Aviv. And he literally wrote the book. That man has worked uh, 40 some odd years in the area of intractable conflict. And so I started reading his work, Crick, the Center for the Resolution of Intractable Conflict in Oxford, um, that Lord Alderdice is the director of, uh, invited me to come and do a presentation and participate in their think tank. They have this annual gathering. And so I said, yeah, okay, I'll go and do that. And I started to put together um, my thoughts around my experiences of intractable conflict and whether or not, you know, we could have the resolution of intractable conflict. Well, first you got to understand what it is. And so I ended up going back, you know, I went in May and then I went back in September and I had presented a bit about what I understood was, you know, the context for intractable conflict in my life. And so Daniel Bartol, he, he describes it as a no-win situation of having historical grievances, of having processes of delegitimization, moral exclusion, infrahumanization, ontologicalization, and there's relationships between language and power, it's existential uh, conflict, it's cumulative conflict, it's violent physically, psychologically, um, and it, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's genocide, uh, and it's spatial and geographical as well. And so after reading Dr. Bartel's work, I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> check, 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 check. Uh, all of those experiences in my lived experience uh, never mind, I don't know about anybody else. And so when I started to look at, and of course here in Canada, we are in this time of reconciliation. And that time of reconciliation really started a long time ago. So the, the calls to action, right, the truth and reconciliation was from 20, 2008 to 2015. But before that, you know, for the last hundred years, basically even more than that, um, actually, yeah, 100 years, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples have been in process, right, in the UN. And then, of course, we have other reports like the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples and, and the Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women and Girls reports. And so there's been a lot of work uh, focused on, quote unquote, the issues. And that's quite often how we've been typified is by issue, right? going back to research relationships that actually sparked the development of the tri-council policy, sorry, the tri-council um, of the research councils, right? So that would be the uh, natural uh, sciences and engineering research council, the social sciences and humanities research council, and of course, sure, um, CIHR, the Canadian Institute for Health Research. And so there's a great book by Hugh Shul, Enough to Keep Them Alive, and he's got a chapter in there where he goes all the way back to look at the fact that, you know, academe has been a silent partner in how we are conceptualized as Indigenous peoples because of all the work through the qualitative sciences around documenting, quote-unquote, 
our eventual extinction as indigenous peoples, as Tunaka peoples. And so when I'm talking about intractable conflict, that's the foundation that I know, the definition, right? The same page we're working from needs to recognize that the page is actually intractable conflict, not health issues, not, you know, all of these issues, issues, issues. Uh, and it's the same for Indigenous people. We need to better understand, right, the totality of how we are, where we are, and who we are in order for reconciliation, for us to be able to have the conversation about what exactly is it that we are trying to reconcile. Because to recognize reconciliation implies a conflict. And how the conflict has been defined has always been by non-Indigenous peoples determining what our, as Indigenous peoples, conflict really is. That's a huge shift that we have to get into our heads. We need to be able to define that so that we can actually work from the same page. Right now in Canada, we're talking about the residential school system. We're talking about the impacts of those systems. But at the same time, the Canadian government is also trying to settle with people like myself, 60 Scoop survivors, without the same care and consideration that the residential school survivors have been afforded. They have their, you know, standard account, right? They are all together. They all went through, right, a similar situation that they can account for, that they can say, yeah, this is the same, right? These are the things that you went through. The 60s group kids, we don't have that same thing. And in fact, because of COVID, our settlement was cut in half and we're still waiting, even though it was determined years ago that, yeah, okay, we're going to settle this, you know, with money. Uh and set up a foundation and, 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 right? Like, it's just, it's a crazy thing. So understanding what the conflicts are, that it's not just conflicts with non-Indigenous people, but it's even with Indigenous people and how we are conceptualizing what these issues are. Often people are talking about the 60s scoop as an extension of the residential school system. Then it's like, well, yes and no. Why do we have to all have it, you know, under the same umbrella? And then where does the reserve system come in from that, right? Um, and so we need to be able to conceptualize conflict differently and be comfortable with that conversation, if we can even have that conversation. We need to have boundaries, right? And we need to be ready, willing, and able to appreciate diversity, like in the creation story, the Tanakha creation story, the emergence story, I've heard it called a whole bunch of different things. I call it creation story. They talk about, you know, all living things comes together and they don't all have to be the same, but they're all given the same respect, right? The time, space, and place to respond to the challenge that's before them or the thing that's coming, which is the human beings and what can you do about it? And so reconciliation means change right? Of some sort at some point to some things and some thinking, including for Indigenous people. So I'm hoping that this podcast uh, and the themes that I start to put together 
contribute to your change in thinking, to make you think, right, to help you think, and and maybe even to sort of go, oh, yeah, I've been thinking about that. I just didn't have the words for it. Or maybe you do. Maybe you even have better words than I do. But I want to contribute to that because I don't think doing the same thing is going to get us anywhere different. I think doing the same thing is going to just embed it, uh, embed intractable conflict in future generations as well. And so I want to talk about uh, trauma. I want to talk about how we've been doing the work that we've been doing as Indigenous peoples. I want to talk about, I want to tell you some stories, like the one I just told you about the UK. There's more to that one. Uh, And I mostly want to just spend some time and uh, hope you spend some time with me as well. So I'm going to end it there for this time. Takhta. It means uh, that's it for now. And Anwinigit, it means uh, see you later, see you again.